0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. I'm James. This is our first episode since Coco Gauff was
1: crowned champion at the U.S. Open. Well, you forgot we did a part two of the U.S. Open wrap. Oh, yes. uh, there was a men's final. We released that on the Thursday following the U.S. Open. We did have that episode, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, well,
0: I say that as an entryway into talking about this first bit. Which probably feels like old news to a lot of people now because it's been a minute. But we still have to talk about it. <laughs> we we must. Because it kind of leads into this whole Simona Halep story as well. It does.
1: CNN tweeted out an interview with Patrick Moratelou talking about his experience coaching Coco Goff and how this is the next big star in his stable. and Talking about his quote... New star. <laughs> right. He no longer works with Coco, of course. But if if there's credit to be taken, the guy is going to take credit. That's who he is, clearly. The timing of this was super interesting because, yes, of course, it is shortly after Coco Goff's first major, but it's also right after the Independent Tribunal released the news of its four-year suspension of Simona Halep. Sure, sure. But... It's so much
0: more egregious to me because, as you said, he's not her coach. And we just went through a news cycle where we at least talked about how much credit, how much maybe disproportionate credit Brad Gilbert was getting Mm -hmm. for being her coach and the changes he made to her game. And now we have this, yet another man being given, well, in this case, taking Mm -hmm credit when it's not due.
1: (laughs) Now, this is purportedly a news channel, right? This isn't People Magazine. It's not Good Morning America. This is CNN. If you have this guy on, actually the most relevant story at the moment is his most recent player. Was he asked about her? No. To me, this whole interview, I'm going to get sued for saying this, I'm sure, but it smacked of pay to play. It felt like payola, it felt like a PR company. You know what? Never mind. You fill in the blanks. Uh, <laughs> it just felt like crisis PR to me. Because Patrick has been embroiled and associated with this saga, and actually a bit more intimately than we even realized once we got the full report. Yes,
0: because the substance that Simona tested positive for, one of the issues in this doping situation was said to have been taken at the direction of
1: somebody who works at Patrick's Academy, mm-hmm. and not only said it was said it was submitted by the Halop side that the physiotherapist who Simone was working with at Patrick's Academy is the one who ordered the supplement that was supposedly contaminated with this drug. Mm-hmm. That's those are all facts on the table. There's no alleged about that.
0: So that's an in-house problem for him, right? It's no longer speculative. It's in the
1: filings. CNN deleted that tweet, by the way, because they got roasted. Deservingly so. It was was embarrassing.
0: We're not going to do a whole in-depth look at the findings, the ruling in the Simona case. It's going to be a lot more topical, surface level, if you will.
1: (laughs) I don't know if I would say all that. Uh, We read the whole 100-whatever-page report. you did. You skimmed it. (laughs) My god, I even highlighted important passages for you to follow. There was a lot of scientific jargon, a lot of stuff that we didn't totally understand, but it's written in very plain language.
0: Mm. My point in saying that is NCR just released an in-depth thing on it.
1: (laughs) Go to them for... We we haven't listened to uh, to Ben and Tomaini's rundown of the full report, Uh, I'm sure it's thorough. Ben definitely stole my line um, (laughs) about this being possibly the biggest doping scandal in tennis history. I'm I'm just kidding, of course. Ben. (laughs) But it did kind of dawn on me last week that this is the most important, the biggest doping scandal tennis has probably ever seen. The thing is, other players haven't been caught. Andre Agassi was doing recreational drugs in the 90s and was covered up. There's Peter Korda, of course, Maria Sharpova, which turned into a lesser charge and a lesser drug, if we're being totally honest. But a four-year suspension for a former number one player, two-time major winner. This is huge.
0: Four years when they were gunning for six. Like, this is the lighter sentence. Right.
1: So first I want to talk a little bit about what I found interesting in the report. Hopefully you all will find it interesting as well. I listened to the last episode and I was talking way too slow. So I may talk way too fast oh. today. I Like I was boring myself.
0: Well, before you get into all that, I just want to say we played a part in questioning why this was taking so long. And it's something that Simona definitely played up mm-hmm. this entire time. I'm, I'm owed my due process. Why is this taking so long? There's been obfuscation. There's this, there's that. Well... The report is a 100, almost 200 pages long. Mm-hmm. It's very detailed, very thorough. And also, mm, the charge is a lot more severe than we had thought. The case a lot more complicated than we had thought.
1: And so, yeah, that's why it took so long, babes. It required two different panels of experts. The biological passport requires... Scientific analysis is not something like a urine or a blood test where something just comes up positive. It requires independent analysis from three different experts who make their ruling and then submit it. The report did note Simona's uh, public pronouncements, some pronouncements by her lawyer as well, and rebutted every single one, essentially. Okay, so at the beginning, as you said, Patrick, the physio, Simona all agreed that she was going to switch one of her supplements. They ordered this thing called Keto MCT. It's ordered by physiotherapist Candice here, who Simona was working with, who works at the academy. They claim that this is what caused the positive test, that there was a contamination in this batch of the supplement. What's very curious is that Simona did not mention the contaminated supplement in her October interview with the ITIA, or in her doping control form. We've seen this before. Maria Sharapova did not put, uh, what was it called? Meldonium. Maldon- God, how could I forget? She didn't put Meldonium in her doping control form for that year. People questioned why. Was it an oversight? Was it purposeful? In that case, they ruled that she wasn't she wasn't at significant fault. Fine, you know, after it went to the CAS.
0: Right. Because at the time, Maria had been taking Meldonium and it was legal. Right. But she still wasn't declaring it.
1: It had fallen out of her doping control form. Mm. At at one point, she declared it, and then she stopped.
0: And so Simona is claiming now that this supplement was contaminated, but at the same time wasn't declaring Mm. this supplement that she was taking.
1: After the ITIA made their ruling, it goes to an independent tribunal. So the tribunal heard Simona's evidence that she felt this the supplement was contaminated. Her doctors were prepared to prove it. The independent tribunal has their own doctors, one of whom, you know, works at WADA. And so they did separate tests. The tribunal accepted that the supplement was probably, quote-unquote, probably contaminated with roxadustat, although the WADA doctor doesn't believe it was. Based on his experiments based on Dr. Alvarez's model, Dr. Alvarez's Halop's scientist. Dr. Eichner from WADA said, I actually don't think it is contaminated, but I can't prove that it's not. Okay, so that's where we are. On a balance of probabilities, a player only has to prove something based on that level... threshold. Not threshold. That threshold. Which is essentially, if something is more than 50% probable to have happened, then that's enough. Now, the... ITIA and the Independent Tribunal are held to a higher standard of proof, which is called comfortably satisfied, which basically means, I mean, they define it with the words. (laughs) It means the comfortable satisfaction of the hearing panel bearing in mind the seriousness of the allegation that is made. Now, mind you, this is not beyond a reasonable doubt. Like, that's the highest burden of proof. That's criminal court. They just have to be comfortably satisfied, which is still a very high burden. As we talked about last time, even accepting that the supplement could have been contaminated, the tribunal showed evidence that there was no way that the level of possible contamination could have caused that result in the adverse analytical finding. She would have to have taken anywhere from like 10 to hundreds of times more of that supplement for it to show up in that concentration. All right, so at this point... The player has to prove, on balance of probabilities, that there's another source of the rock stat. And if she can't, that's a four-year ban. Just right off the bat. Then, in early 2023, we hear about the athlete biological passport. A panel of three experts all independently returned a verdict of, quote, likely doping. Now we're in big trouble.
0: This is where it gets really tricky for Simona.
1: And this is also why it took
0: so long. The biological passport thing, I don't know how you get around that.
1: And their language was very, uh, very clear. They said, we therefore conclude that it is highly likely that a prohibited substance has been used and that it is unlikely that the passport is the result of any other cause. Further, two months later, they said, oh, and also we'd like to add that there was the possibility of a prohibited method... Of doping, in addition to the prohibited substance, mm. so now they're saying it's possibly blood manipulation in addition to just taking roxidustat. Oh, yeah. So that's that's really bad. Meanwhile, Simone has been making all these public pronouncements saying that the ITIA has changed its stance by adding the prohibited method option. The tribunal calls it "quote punchy advocacy," but it does not offer anything of substance. <laughs> Simona offered several reasons why the passport could have been read in a certain way, uh, called, called, what, confounding factors, I think. One of them was redacted. One of them was a surgery, which apparently everybody knows was a nose surgery. She said as much. Right, in the fall. And then the third was a period of detraining. So then the independent tribunal has to prove at a level of comfortably satisfied that none of those things could have produced the result. They did. That was a lot of the stuff I didn't totally understand scientifically, and there was some legal jargon in there that you can go read. Very interesting. But the conclusion is that this was intentional doping without the possibility of finding no significant fault or negligence, which I mentioned last time. So many of the tennis players who've tested positive have gotten off on that no significant fault. Robert Farah, he was able to prove that the drug was in the beef, of course. Tortellini. uh, Hadad, Maya, Jari. They were all at, quote, no significant fault. In this case, there's no possibility of that. There might be once it reaches the Court of Arbitration for Sports, but the independent tribunal says no way. And as you referenced, they submitted further aggravating circumstances that could lead to a ban of six years. And further to that, as you referenced the ITIA submitted that there were aggravating circumstances that make the situation even worse that could lead to a ban of six years. Now, the tribunal said no.
0: These allegations of aggravating circumstances leveled by the ITIA, they include saying that the blood doping was, quote, repeated and sophisticated. Sophisticated is a a word that's doing a lot of work there. That it was cunning and deceitful. Stimulation was effective from March 2022 to September 2022, as per the expert panel, which means more than one occasion. They claim that the player engaged in deceptive and or obstructive conduct to avoid detection. And they also alleged that the timing suggests that blood doping was timed for Wimbledon and the US Open. Targeted.
1: Right. Now, the independent tribunal couldn't reach the threshold of comfortably satisfied on any of those aggravating circumstances. They said there was no agreement that blood doping was highly likely in March 2022 or at Wimbledon because they couldn't prove it. Like they didn't have valid biological passport samples that could prove it for those periods. So even if it was likely, they said they couldn't rule on these aggravating circumstances. The ITIA has
0: also asked that all of Simona's results from the 8th of March, 2022, to October 7th, 2022, be disqualified.
1: And similarly, the tribunal said, we can't can't prove it. We are not comfortably satisfied that there was blood doping through that entire period, so we can only prove the U.S. Open.
0: Now, the follow-up from all this is that Simona is still vehemently claiming her innocence. She still has Darren out
1: here... Claiming innocence on her behalf. Yeah. Okay. So getting into kind of the reactions. Where we are with Simona, she is in... She's up shit creek, essentially. She still has the chance to take it to the court of arbitration for sport. There is precedent for some things being overturned at that level or a suspension being reduced. We'll see how they view the evidence and what they rule on it. But the... Yeah, the dedication of Darren Cahill here is really surprising to me. He was a witness in the in the tribunal's case. And in the report, they said Mr. Cahill acknowledges that he has no knowledge of the events that took place. And he's really only here as a character witness. It didn't really have any impact on the case. But the fact that Darren is risking his reputation being so vociferous about this, that is surprising to me. Uh, For me, it's not so
0: much. If you follow them throughout their careers together and separately, they're family, essentially, Mm. at this point.
1: And isn't that what you do for family? I guess, but you're a coach of an active top 10 player. You are also beholden to the anti-doping authorities, or your player is. If it comes out that I mean, so Simona has already been found guilty by this independent tribunal. If the Court of Arbitration for Sports says, yeah, we agree, where does
0: that leave you? Right, but isn't this what it has always boiled down to? That nobody believes that Simona would knowingly, willingly (laughs) do something like this. Mm -hmm. And so if this report is now painting a picture, well, it was done... That doesn't necessarily prove that she knowingly did it. And I think that's where people are still landing with this issue. We Mm -hmm. saw a lot of Simona fans just bereft Mm -hmm. these past few weeks saying, you know, that was my girl, loved her, but this is just damning right now. Right, And even if she didn't knowingly do this,
1: it was still done. Well, first of all, I think that at this point it does make you sound a little naive to say that oh no she could never have she couldn't have done this i don't believe it well you can i mean you can believe what she want but the suspension is still in place the other thing is if you say like simona is she's a victim she was taken advantage of by this evil man and this evil academy like you paint her as this person without agency this poor little victim who's not a grown woman right who's a multimillionaire who's a successful athlete, one of the most successful in her field, what do we gain from that, from saying Simona is helpless? Sure, there's that element. There's also the element that if
0: uh, the the path that we must take now is to prove that this was done to me and not by me, then who did it? What? That's where we're at Of right course, now Because... There's no for me there's no other way out of
1: this. Well, all of all of the evidence was examined and rejected by the tribunal. Again, the CAS may may find differently, but at this point if your argument is still I didn't do this knowingly, you got to blame somebody. Meanwhile, the person who would be the
0: easiest target is out here claiming success for the most recent Tennis success
1: <laughs> right. in Coco Goff. He's doing fairly sophisticated spin and damage control, which it's not working for Simona. Which I'm not here to say that Patrick did this. I'm here to say that he's at the very least aware of how this looks on him. Right. but And he's been by her side through this whole thing. He was actually present at mm-hmm. these hearings. Uh, so Right, but the timing of that CNN piece was...
0: Very convenient.
1: <laughs> it sure was. So the tactics are, well, blame somebody else. Or what we have been seeing is is chip away at the credibility of the anti-doping agency in general. And so a lot of Simona surrogates have been doing that. What has been disappointing is that a lot of reporters have been engaging in that. And I certainly don't have any issue with questioning anti-doping authorities. like We can't assume that they're always doing the right thing. We've seen so many examples of bad actors That's or incompetence. That's been right? ethos of
0: this show, actually, Right over the years.
1: But I must insist that if you're going to do it, you have to do it with evidence. You, it, the evidence can't be, oh, I don't think someone would ever do that. Therefore, that organization is corrupt. That's not evidence. And as a, you can do that as a fan. But as a reporter, as a journalist, you can't. Who are we referencing specifically here? We're not referencing one person. There was one tweet that John Wertheim deleted, where he was sort of engaging in this thought experiment about, is the punishment too harsh for the actual crime? And so he was saying, well, what if, you know, for a one-time, a first-time contamination offense, the player gets a hefty fine and a warning? The problem is that wasn't correct. This is not a contamination offense. The independent tribunal said it wasn't. They didn't buy the story. And if it was contamination, the player would have had to show a second source that accounted for that high concentration of the drug. She didn't. She didn't even attempt to. And so this is actually not a contamination offense. It's actually way more serious than that. So John deleted that tweet.
0: Well, this is what we saw when that... Report dropped. People were tweeting about it in real time without having Mm -hmm. read the whole thing, really understanding the whole thing. A lot of retractions happened that day. Let me tell you,
1: all I did was sit there and highlighted and took notes. I did not say anything because I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a chemist. uh... Well, isn't John? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which is what was surprising. (laughs) I mean, he's on 60 Minutes. like. His standard is very, very high, right? Well, should be. Right. You know, credit for deleting the tweet. There's no shame in that at all. But I don't want to pick on only him. There have been a lot of reporters out here questioning, well, why should the ban be so long? Or, again, like, questioning the credibility of our anti-doping policies and organizations at all. And, like, where are we going here? Yannick Schneider, who's a German uh, sports reporter who covers mostly tennis, he did a short thread about being surprised at so many reporters, respected reporters, and players were so open in criticizing anti-doping where in other sports that would be forbidden. That would be taboo. Mm -hmm.
0: What's not taboo for Yannick is caping for his very left, right, and center from his pulpit, which (laughs) has happened multiple times. That is
1: not what we're talking about Well, I'm going to take that
0: shot here. Because, like, you're saying, this is not part of the job. But that was part of the
1: job? Fine, fine. But he makes a good point here. Yeah, yeah. That when you step outside of the tennis bubble, you realize, whoa, wait, why are all these reported? First of all, the story has been very underreported. Extremely underreported. Yes. Part of it is just because of, like, the staffing levels in tennis journalism. It's very low compared to other sports. I think part of it is the SEO for tennis sucks. If you go on Google and search Simona Halep, you will get pages and pages of, you know, those sites that steal reporting from other places. Sports Keto. Exactly. And, and the like. Mm-hmm. It, it is actually not easy to find good original reporting about tennis. So there are a lot of reasons for that, of course. I'm not only blaming the reporters. Part of that is just structural. Right, but
0: this was just another in a sequence of misses from Wawram in particular. I know you yeah. said we're not going to talk about the other ones. It was on the agenda, <laughs> but it paints the picture, right? Because it was old, right after you know. the U.S. Open, he was out here tweeting. Have we, as a tennis community, done enough to note/slash applaud Djokovic getting to Valencia for Davis Cup days after winning his twenty-fourth major? Like,
1: as we, who's we? As a Uh, tennis community. But, like, I thought you were a journalist. Like, what? (laughs) And this is, I mean, this is the conundrum of being a journalist on social media. You, what is your role? What is your personality? Like, do you have a personality? The old school journalists of the 20th century, of course, would say that the actual reporter is always already secondary to the news. Of course, that's different. Like, that's going to evolve. But as a journalist on Twitter, what is your role? Like, are you a fan? Are you uh, an advocate for the sport? Sports journalism has pretty much always been advocacy. Right, but this also didn't make sense
0: because Djokovic needs to play Davis Cup to be able to play the Olympics.
1: Most likely, yes.
0: Yeah. To be safe.
1: Right? (laughs) Yes. It's just, it was just so
0: bizarre. And also it doesn't account for the fact that people don't care. He has his fans. They don't rise in number to the level of fans of other stars. Mm -hmm. And it is what it is. And a lot of people are disgusted by him and his results. Period. They will not care that he won the US Open. They will not care what great, elaborate steps he took to play the Davis Cup. The less he's in the news, the better.
1: For a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I thought we were talking about doping. (laughs) Clearly you had something you wanted to say. It Apparently, just, we're going to wrap up this segment. But just getting back to the reporting of the the Halep suspension, it's interesting that a lot of players are not scared to openly criticize anti-doping. They say they're scared, right? They say, "Oh, I can't take any. I can't take cold medicine. I'm afraid to take anything." But they're not scared enough not to say that anti-doping is bullshit. Essentially, in well, public, can they be sued that, for it? Well, if they think it's already vindictive and overly invasive, aren't they afraid?
0: Sure, they're afraid of the, what could happen to them. Mm-hmm. But they're saying, I have no control over that. This system is flawed and I could get wrapped up in a case even if I did nothing wrong, just like this. Right, but have you? Uh, okay, you I'm going what? to make an analogy here and I don't know if it's going to be on point or not. But why do we have men running to the defense of other men who are wrapped up in essay cases all the time? Because it because it could be me. me. Right,
1: someday it could be. That's that is the the thing at play here. Sure, but if they're so scared about stepping out of line with these doping policies, what do you know what I mean? Like it is sort of a a paradox. Okay, in other sports, of course, cycling. We watch athletics. It's. Less common, I think, for athletes to say, oh, that's this doping control board, it's bullshit, right? It's it's more of a taboo in other sports, essentially because their anti-doping is so much more rigorous than tennis by leaps and bounds, which is another paradox. Tennis players are supposedly terrified of stepping out of line, but other sports have it way worse. I also
0: feel that tennis has it worse than a lot of sports. In that the Mm. whereabouts thing is more difficult for them. Yes. Than other sports. Mm. But in terms of the stringency of the testing, for sure. I want to talk about this whole Serena bit. Again? Differently. Okay. Because Mm. she was out here talking about it is a better number, cetera, Mm. Blah, blah, blah. You know how she likes to talk about people who've caught a case, (laughs) who played against her and maybe won some matches that she thinks they shouldn't have, Mm -hmm. in retrospect. But ma'am, your former coach is now... The current coach of this person, you are going to get so many people calling your name
1: mm-hmm. because of this. Mm-hmm. This because was if, always my fear.
0: Because if the go-to plays to blame Patrick, well, he had this other really prominent player
1: under his wing. What about that? Mm-hmm. Who won double-digit majors in her 30s. Of course, like, the suspicion will be cast there.
0: And so you have Serena fans going after Simona fans saying, "Ah," And they're coming back and they're saying,
1: "Ah." Oh, and also a lot of racist. (laughs) You know, that as well. Yes, a lot. A lot of. Of that. Yeah. I mean, I do remember that Simona fan who, we're mutually blocked. The one who said the N-word several times Mm -hmm. in 2019 and then said she didn't know what it meant. And still to this yeah, day, apparently they know what it means,
0: right? But also to this day, people share that person's account. Like it's like, oh hey, yes,
1: yes. You should you should look on their account now. By the way, you will be. Uh, I don't know if entertained are, is the word. Are Maybe they, shocked. Are they popping off at the moment? <laughs> <Stop>. So anyway, <laughs> you wanted to say that if if Patrick is guilty. Then that guilt is transferred by association to Serena, or a lot of people will see it that way. Yes,
0: yeah, and I don't see how, I don't see how this was a good play by Serena. I agree, at all.
1: And also, your husband is now being accused of selling worthless investments knowingly. <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess you are too, because <laughs> Stan Wawrinka is too. <laughs> Didn't Naomi Osaka have to pay back like oh, millions of dollars? Lord. Uh, anyway, right. Let's talk about some results. <laughs> there have been quite a few
0: results since the U.S. Open. Yeah, and this is going to be kind of a results light episode, as you you could probably tell already. I mean, how light is it when there's so many? Sure, but
1: we're probably not going to spend too much time.
0: Let's start in Guadalajara. This was last week, the 1000 event in Mexico. The most recently completed week of tennis, yes. Last (laughs) week.
1: Yeah. Ahead of the tournament, it had been seriously impacted by withdrawals. The defending champion, Pagula... U.S. Open champ Goff, Iga Shantek, Arena Sabalenka. So many players in the top 10 decided they weren't going to come. There were only
0: a couple top 10 players at this event. Jibur, uh Sakari,
1: and was even Garcia still in the top 10 at that point? <laughs> I can't keep track. I don't know. But Shabur, number 7 in the world at the time, was the number 1 seed here. And the number 16 seed was the number 36 player, Karolina Pliskova. Now, remember, this is a 1000 level event. It's not a mandatory, but typically everybody in the top, say, 30 has to play it. Right.
0: And Mm -hmm. so what's complicated about this scheduling for players, do you go to Mexico and risk winning a few rounds and then having to travel to China
1: or Japan? Mm -hmm. And a lot of them said, I'm good, love. It seemed like most people had to either choose stay in North America or go straight to Asia. Take a little break, go to Asia. As you said, Tokyo's this week. The Chinese tournaments are starting up. So not many people were left in North America. But by all accounts, Guadalajara does an amazing job of putting on this tournament. Mm -hmm. They put on the WTA finals a few years ago with very little notice. People love these Mexican tournaments. Sure, but they also...
0: The players at least struggle to a certain degree with the altitude. Yes. And the way the balls play. And uh, it's 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 not your typical week on tour for a lot of players, mm-hmm. despite how amazing the atmosphere in the tournament is. What we ended up with was Maria Sachary winning this title, the biggest title of her career, the second of her career beating Caroline Dolahyde in the final. And yes, listeners, you heard correctly, Caroline Dolaheide right. was the finalist.
1: Now, and now a top 40 player. Her first WTA final of any kind, she had only played in a handful of main draws at the 1000 level at all. But Maria Sakkari just went through a very difficult US Open where she was shattered in the press conference talked about Maybe I'll take some time away from tennis. It's really difficult to be on court right now. And say what you want about the level of competition. The fact that she made it to the semis, the final, and then won is really huge for her. I think regardless of who she played, it's got to be massive. It's got to be transformative for her. Right, and kind of a, a vindication, a proof to her that she's doing something right. Like she's on the right track. A vindication for her coach Tom Hill as well, mm-hmm. who's been with her for many years.
0: Slight correction, Dolahad is up to 42. Okay. Not quite top 40 yet. I think should have been top 30 had she won that tournament. I want to say here. And this should come as no surprise to listeners of this show, going to bat for Maria Sachary. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh-huh. You simply cannot be out here mocking Maria for not beating players she should beat. And then mock her for beating players she should beat Mm. to win this title. Even though, objectively, it's a depleted field. Because if she didn't win those semifinal and final matches, it would have been chaos in her mentions.
1: Oh, yeah. But she beat the players who were in front of her. I mean, she can't conjure up better opponents at will. And in straight sets. Right. I don't think she lost a set all week. So she's back up squarely in
0: the top 10 and back up in spirits and in form. Mm. I believe number six now. She's mostly secure for the year in finals. Hell, way more secure than she was last week. It's, it's a crazy just how much one week can change, not just the trajectory of a player's year, but even their career. We just saw this with Coco Goff. These are two players who are down bad for prolonged stretches this year. And a couple weeks, in this case one for Maria, but a few weeks back-to-back back for Coco. And we're looking at them as totally different people. Mm-hmm. Talking about them completely differently. I also want to say a little bit about Miss Dola Okay. I saw her a couple times a few years ago. I know for sure I saw her on Althea Gibson in Charleston. And I must have seen her that year in Cincinnati as well. And this is one of the things I say to people as... One of the the real benefits of watching live tennis, of going to tournaments, you end up watching players that you definitely would not see otherwise. Mm -hmm. Would I have seen or known anything about or paid any attention to Caroline Dolahyde if I had not seen her in Charleston? Probably not. Would I have this reference point? Definitely not. I remember watching her and thinking, oh, this young woman is well outside the top 100 fighting for her life to get into this tournament. Or stay in this tournament in round one, whatever it was at the time. Was like, but she can ball, she can play. Like, what? What are really the big differences between being a player who is consistently in the top one hundred and somebody who's struggling to break into the top one hundred? It's often very small. Mm-hmm. And so she's had this career-changing week now, and good for her. I at the U.S. Open last year, I saw Enzo Cuoco. I know every time he's on. The docket, I pop in <laughs> to say hi. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, you know? I still don't know who he is. But you also get an appreciation for the grind, like how difficult it is out here, especially if you're at a tournament like Charleston where, I mean, it's still a 500 tournament, but people are just breaking their backs trying to get into it. And so my perspective is not, oh my God, this tournament is so flop, it's so weak,
0: so much so that Caroline dolahide made the final. It's more like, wow, good for her. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. I try to take the less hateration route.
1: Right, well, with most things. The the, the less haterated. What? <laughs> Hollerated. <laughs> anyway, WTA China has started back up again for the first time since uh, 2019, right? They were in Guangzhou last week. Wang Shi Yu beat Magdalene Net for the title there. Real easily. Yes. Love and Two? Yeah. Now, the previous week, we got San Diego and we got Osaka. So like these parallel tours at this point in Asia and North America. Finally, the WTA has a full schedule. Mm. Do you know how many weeks of this year we've been saying, wow, there are not a lot of options for WTA players to play. So now at least there are are options. There's several tournaments going on at the same time.
0: And who's had a great two-week stretch is Sonia Kennan, making the final in San Diego, backing it up with a semifinal in Guadalajara. Mm-hmm. Back inside the top 50. Number she, 31. She's somebody to watch in 2024.
1: Is that where we're at? <laughs> yeah, that's next year. This was her first final in three years, by the way, since she was the runner-up at the Autumn Roland Garros. Remember that? Australian I mean, Open champion that? in
0: 2020. Mm-hmm. And also French Open finalist.
1: Right. And after the pandemic started <laughs> in the, the shifted French Open, she lost to who? Barbie K in San Diego, who doubled there. Won the doubles title and the singles title. Barbie is back. All right. WTA big three plus watch is on.
0: Listen, <laughs> we're not doing that.
1: <laughs> oh, but uh, Babs also ended Coco Vandewey's career once and for all. We thought it was over, right, at the U.S. Open. There was even a ceremony, but she played doubles with uh, Danielle Collins in San Diego as well. And Babs and uh, Siniakova, they ended that too. Well, Godspeed. <laughs> uh, what else has been going on? The men uh, have been in Davis Cup World Group, and they were also in Labor Cup. So there's not a whole lot. Those are two things we, <laughs> I guess, we really don't care about. Labor um, Labor
0: Cup. Was just a mess. It
1: was a, a crosses really. I, I mean, I already had resolved that I wasn't going to pay attention. I felt that there was. I didn't have an obligation this year because there weren't like the big names. There wasn't a, a big four reunion or there anything like that. There was no like federal that. retirement, right? And I also don't think that our audience is like begging for labor cup coverage, especially with this kind of pop down version in Vancouver. Team World. Team North America plus Francisco Cerrundolo, they won like 13 to 2 or something. It was no competition. There was uh, some kind of drama between Felix and Gael Monfils, which I suppose got to the essential core of what Labour Cup is supposed to be about. Is, <laughs> is, it, it, is it an exhibition? <laughs> exactly. Is it a tournament? Is Gael uh, acting? Is he showboating too much and flouting the rules? That's what Felix thought. And it came off as like very, very scolding. To
0: it me. got Guile to issue a long treatise <laughs> on who he is as a person yeah. and a player.
1: Basically, it was like I took time away from my wife and daughter because I thought this was going to be fun. And it's not fun.
0: And also, this is how I've always
1: played my career with fun. <laughs> right. So, this is who I
0: am. What... I don't know what you want from me. How
1: dare you question my integrity. To me, if the Labour Cup is not fun, what is it? Because, first of all, you've already, you're counting this in the official ATP head-to-heads, but you're not even recruiting players by ranking. Guile is a, a clear example of that. And then you're getting captain's choices? I mean, like you didn't pick Guile Monfils when he would have been eligible, when he was a top player, but you pick him now.
0: Now listen, Felix, this was not it. Like you you won I saw him win that one match and I was like, Oh no, here he
1: comes <laughs> He got a B in his bonnet after that. I as you know, love Felix, can't support him on this. However, I also don't care at all about this this controversy, supposedly. I don't know, Labour Cup was just not, not interesting at all to me. Hmm.
0: There was this big drama with Davis Cup. With Stan calling them out, calling out PK by name, and then PK oh, yes. coming back to say, uh, and then John Millman, all these other players dunking on him, uh, essentially accusing him of ruining Davis Cup <laughs> because nobody was there.
1: And nobody was the, there. In the midst of this, David Haggerty was reelected as the head of the ITF by a massive Landslide. margin. Landslide. This is after a catastrophic deal with cosmos a 25 year deal that cost how much that lasted uh, how, how long how i think long? it lasted three years mess um, pk is also getting screamed at in nightclubs i mean people hate him yeah because really. of shakira yeah shakira by the way caught another case. another case, another tax a case. seven million dollar tax is, case. is she going to jail or what
0: she beat one, and now she's got another one. This, it, like, what happens when they actually get through the 2020 tax season?
1: <laughs> is there going to be another one next <laughs> right. year? Uh, this all must be Pique's mom. <laughs> you know she is a bruja. I was just about to say bruja. <laughs> um, yeah, Davis Cup. The only re- thing I really wanted to say is that was there was a great showing by Canada's B-team. Uh, Felix, Dennis, and Milos did not take part in the World Group playoffs, but... Uh, Alexis Galarno and Gabriel Diallo scored big wins over Italy. Diallo just celebrated his 22nd birthday today, I think. Oh, okay. All right. Buon um, anniversario. Something like sure. that. Sure,
0: yeah.
1: It... <laughs> Galarno beat Sonigo and Diallo beat Musetti, So Canada's in the final again. A team that is not is the team that's hosting. So <laughs> we have a home team that will not be taking part in the finals, which for Davis Cup is... Absolutely wild. Uh, that's Spain, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. We had heard for months now that Rafa was targeting playing the Davis Cup finals at the end of the year as maybe his one dipping his toe back into the tennis mm-hmm. waters ahead of the 2024 season.
1: Yeah, We get this mm-hmm.
0: interview that he gave with some Spanish market TV outlet thing, and it was translated, and it dominated my timeline that one day. Well, a couple days after, because it was the translations by his fans and then the fallout from the Crocs, who then took and parsed through every word that was translated and made it into a
1: massive thing, Mm -hmm. right? How boring. What a life. What a life to lead. But the back and forth. It was so boring. Dull, even. And that's what they accuse
0: Rafa of being.
1: Right. Dull. Dull. <laughs> and it's something he said about Djokovic before, which he doesn't mean in a disparaging way. Just that uh, Novak clearly has like a different drive or a different motivator than the rest of them. Clearly, he cares more about numbers. I think they all care about numbers. Yeah, I, but...
0: I honestly don't care. I don't care. <laughs> what I want to talk about here was his future mm-hmm. and how nothing I read from that interview gave me any optimism about his career going
1: forward. No. None of it. No. Not one drop. At this point, I'm wondering about his quality of life going forward. Outside of the sport. Is he going to walk with a limp for the rest of his life? Like, is And is one more year playing here or there, is it worth it to potentially make that worse? We shall see. Performance buys. <laughs> wow. Uh oh. Yelena for being such an unassuming character in person causes a lot of conversation out here does she not she and then today her coach uh Stefano Vukic it's Stefano right mm. Vukic were dominating the news cycle of tennis twitter or actually i don't know if it was yesterday it might have been a few days ago but so essentially what happened what
0: happened was mm-hmm. Guadalajara happened and they want Maria to come play in Tokyo. As you can imagine, that's quite the distance to travel.
1: Mm.
0: Maria is winning the tournament. And so they've said, well, hey, you get a performance buy. You normally wouldn't. But because we want you here and you can't get here in time, you'll get a buy in the first round that would normally be afforded to the top, what, four seeds of the mm-hmm. tournament, which then bumped Rubakina from that performance buy. And now she has to play an actual match in the first round. Right. She was not happy. She the was coach not. was not happy. <laughs> uh,
1: firstly, uh, the WTA has used performance buys before. It is within the rules, uh, depending on where you are. They've used them in Madrid in 2009, uh, in Beijing in 14, Dubai the following year. And as you said, this is basically a way to ensure top players have enough suitable rest and get there. They want the top players to show up to their tournaments. And they don't do it for just anybody, right? Like Maria Sakari was very close to being a top four seed. They just bumped her into one of the bye spots, essentially. Yeah.
0: So Caroline Garcia was the other player who got one. Right. Because she made the semifinals in Guadalajara. Uh. Sakkari beat her, in fact. These were two players who were down bad. Uh, that's something we say a lot on the show now, down bad. <laughs> but Garcia has had a lot of bad losses.
1: Oh, indeed.
0: And so here she is making the semis of a Masters 1000.
1: There is no feasible way that those players could have arrived in Japan to play a first round match. So I understand why this this exists. You are rewarding, buys typically award performance based on ranking, uh, but what is a buy meant to do? You know, I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you think about a performance buy? Do you think it's fair? Who, me? Yeah. I'm not
0: bothered by it. Mm. I don't think it's the end of the world. I think the premise of it makes sense. You could take issue with the scheduling, that this was a problem because of how the schedule was set up. Yes, roast the WTA for that. But the practice of using the performance buys—I mean, we've seen it before. I wasn't outraged by it. I understand why Rebecca is annoyed by it. She out here on Instagram, what was it a a, a story? I think she so. sent. Yeah. She sent a story whereby she wrote performance by thank you for changing the rules. Last moment. Great decisions as always at WTA.
1: And then she included a clown emoji and a circus tent emoji. Uh, Yelena is already pissed at the WTA. We we already know that she was very mad about the Montreal scheduling, which was very poorly handled. We talked about that. Like, they were playing into 3 a.m. at night Mm. for some reason, for some unknown reason when it could have been avoided. She's still pissed about that. She's pissed that she got sick afterward. She's pissed that she's dealing with an injury. Then her coach and his burner account on Twitter. Which apparently has existed for quite some time, but (laughs) most of us only discovered today. There's no profile picture, and the handle is at Steph S-T-E-F, 827 (laughs) 03878. Click on him. I think he might have deleted it. Oh, that's a screenshot. Yes, it's a screenshot.
0: He's replying to somebody and he says, obviously you're an idiot and a hater. Final Australian Open, one Indian Wells, final Miami, one Rome, had to pull up for coronavirus in French Open quarters, Wimbledon semis, Canada got sick at the US Open, and now we are here. Correct bad results. And by the way, we defend nothing this year.
1: He has bars. Those, only two sentences. And no punctuation except for one period. Anyway, uh, I'm not criticizing his writing. You're not? You have a coach of a top player calling people idiots and a hater under this mysterious uh, burner account. Although it's not even that mysterious. It has his first name on it. It's just, it's very unprofessional. And as I tweeted today, sure, I I mean, I can't really criticize because Serena worked with Patrick for a decade, but it's embarrassing to me. As a player, that would be embarrassing to me. After Rebecca sent that story, (laughs) Nicole Melikar Martinez corrected her and said, actually, well, actually, the information about performance buys was on the fact sheet. Like, okay, teacher's pet, (laughs) Miss Snitch do i needed more information when do you get the fact sheet does do the players read the fact sheet like the players don't even read their emails i know right they're not going to read the fact sheet it was just like the tone of it was crazy so after all this elena pulled out of tokyo on monday saying quote, "i have to prioritize my health and fitness and need time to get to 100% health" You know, I don't know if one day or one match would have helped her to get to 100% fitness, uh, but it was pointed. Hokaruna. Yeah, there's uh, so much more context to this losing streak that's that's been coming out. We knew he was struggling with injuries, but I don't think that I understood exactly what it was. And the reason I wanted to cover it is because it's something that I have a lot of intimate personal knowledge about. Oh, your vertebrae? <laughs> yeah. You don't need to know all my medical details, but Holger has apparently been, according to him, suffering from a bulging disc and pinched nerve at the L5 vertebra, which is lumbar vertebra, lower back. I know that uh, a pinched nerve or a bulging disc at that area can cause sciatic pain through your legs and cause all kind of problems. It is not something you want to play with, especially at his age. He's, and this
0: started in the clay season.
1: Yes. He's been on a four match losing streak in singles that dates back to the Wimbledon quarterfinals. If you include the matches he lost at Hopman cup in singles, it's a six match losing streak. It's huge for somebody who's ranked number four. Like his ranking hasn't suffered due to all these losses. <laughs> Now, let me tell you, if you give Mominger, Anika Huna, a microphone, (laughs) she will talk. Like, she will tell you what you want to know and more. I do love that. She apparently had been begging
0: him to take time off and withdraw from Umag and Hotman Cup. He participated
1: in Hotman Cup and lost all four matches. Twin singles, twin doubles, correct? Yes, and these were, I mean, one of the singles matches were against somebody you never heard of. Doubles with Clara Towson, lost those. He did pull out of Umag in Croatia because, like, listen. If you are suffering from a pinched nerve in your back, why are you playing clay tournaments after Wimbledon? Why? Pray why? This is one of your favorite topics. What? No, not just no but you're, you're dealing with an injury that does not benefit from playing through it. A back injury, sure, they tell you, walk around. They don't tell you to... Lift your arm over your head and serve with high velocity. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's that's not going to help. You need rest. He plays both Masters in August. He plays the US Open, loses all of his matches. He says that he's now back. He's going to play the China Open. According to Extra Bladis, do you know how many times I listened to Danish people pronounce that? Mm. I, impossible. So I know I didn't get it right, but I did try. Anyway, that's that's a news
0: publication in Denmark. What you're trying to say is that, he, according to them, he got an injection last week to help deal with the pain as his back heals. And you presume that it's a cortisone
1: injection. Right, that's my assumption. He didn't say that right out. But apparently, he was bedridden for a few days after the injection, and he's on the mend. I, you know, having been through this, I hope that he's getting good advice. I hope that he is taking that good advice. This is not something that you can just play through. At his age, to me, getting an injection is is a little bit alarming. Because they're not unlimited. You, you know, you can't get a hundred of them in your life. Mm. So I, for the future of his career, he needs to be really mindful.
0: We know that he and Patrick have split, allegedly for good, this time. And that, according to his mother, there was friction, ego clashes, between Patrick and Lars Christensen. And she encouraged Holger to keep only Christensen, saying, quote, The structured way of working, it may not be terribly sexy, but it has proven extremely effective since Holger was little. <laughs> that felt pointed to me. What's pointed from me? is this next little bit about the U.S. Open women's versus men's final viewership numbers.
1: (laughs) Again, slightly old news, but it's something worth talking about. In the midst of this, the cable lockout, the dispute between Disney and Spectrum, overall viewership was down by 17%. However, the women's final on ESPN drew 3.4 million viewers in the U.S., which is the best ever number for a women's final, on ESPN. And it's the second best US Open telecast ever on ESPN. They took over US Open in 2015. So that's all finals, all anything. Both genders second best telecast ever.
0: Well, both genders that are recognized by tennis. Two
1: gen- yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to, you know, be so binary there. Uh, and actually the only match that garnered more viewers on ESPN in the US was Serena's final match last year. The men's final got two point three million. And so that's almost
0: fifty percent fewer viewers than tuned into the women's final.
1: Yep. They did get their best number since twenty nineteen. Who was in that? Which final? was Rafa Medvedev. So i guess I guess Medvedev is the draw here. <laughs> this is the real draw. And, of course, any time numbers like this come out, you get, oh, well, they were up against NFL. Fine. On Saturday, the women were up against college football, too. I don't don't know what to tell you. I'm not Mr. Nielsen, okay? You are Mr. Rogers. (laughs) That brings us to the end of this episode. Hiram was afraid we didn't have an episode. I was staring at the, you make kind of like bullet points of topics, Mm -hmm. and then I fill them in, right? That's our usual process. I was staring at these bullet points with like, don't wanna, don't wanna talk, don't care. But we made it work. I hope. We'll see. We'll see how the edit turns out. We often take a a big hiatus after the US Open. Didn't we? I mean, like 12 days. But we did, we had two wrap episodes, which we don't normally do. So Mm -hmm. I feel good about September.
0: My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at Tennis underscore John. I'm James at Elia JMR. Two L's, two T's. Everything body serve related can be found on linktree.com slash the body serve. Thank you for listening. Till next time.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much.